Good morning, good morning to you, you, good morning, good morning to you, you, good morning, good morning, won't you share with a friend or two? Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning to Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Daring Dialogues, and I am your host, Shante Charles, and today is Monday Motivation. We are not going to have a full segment today, um, but we will get into hopefully something that will motivate you. We're looking at the book, Notable Native People by Adrienne Keene. And I want to start out by reading her introduction and then jumping right into the notable native that we're going to talk about today. Um, I will be sort of skipping around in this book as the month goes on. And uh, so we may not cover, obviously, there are 50 in this book, so we may not cover them all. But I do encourage you to pick up the book for yourself. So let's start out with her introduction And then we will get into the native that she is talking about today. Just a little bit about my own history. I do have some native ancestry. Uh, The average African-American has about zero, I think they said 0.08 or 0.8% of native ancestry. I have about 3 to 5%, depending on what test I take, of uh, native ancestry. I grew up knowing that my people were Cherokee and Blackfoot. This was told to me by my mother, my grandmother. Um, And so I do know that much about my history. I know that my great-grandfather is, and many of my other relatives in North Carolina are buried in a native cemetery. And you can only be buried there if you have um indigenous native ancestry i also know that my great grandfather bought five of his five of his acres of land he had four he had 40 at the time of his passing he bought five of them from other fellow natives who lived in the area the lumbies um, in north carolina so i do know that my relatives my ancestors were native Um, Some of them on my, you know, my father's side were enslaved. So I have both ancestry from the formerly enslaved and I have ancestry from um, the indigenous to this country. So when people talk about American and Americanism and all of that, I'm just like, yeah, we are just as American as you, if not more. (laughs) So it is 
Indigenous Heritage Month, celebrating all things Indigenous. So I'm going to go into the introduction for her book, Into an Indigenous Future. The United States as we know it has not always existed. There's a deep and rich legacy of people inhabiting these lands long before the first European colonists arrived and altered the course of history. The lands in what is currently known as the United States encompass the homelands of 574 federally recognized American Indian tribal nations, as well as hundreds more state-recognized and non-recognized tribal nations. In addition, through later acts of land seizing, and in the case of the Hawaiian Kingdom, illegal overthrow, our extended indigenous community also includes Kanaka Maoli and Alaska Native people. These three groups encompass vast diversity, innumerable cultural groups, nations, languages, histories, experiences, struggles, and joys. Indigenous people are the first people of the lands around the world. To be indigenous is to be of a place, to have creation stories of how your people emerge from the land, and to be connected to a community from that place. As the first people of their respective lands, American Indian people, Alaska Native people, and Kanaka Maoli have expertly stewarded and cared for the land, built vast cities and societies, utilized democratic governance, and carried and shaped cultural practices and traditions for centuries. But because of the destructive legacy of settler colonialism, white supremacy, most Americans know very little about Native people beyond the stereotypes of Hollywood Indians, igloos, or Hawaiian grass skirts. But our reality is much different. We have and have always had leaders across all sectors, from science, art, and activism to education, fashion, politics, and beyond. I am a Native person, she says, who was raised far away from her Cherokee community, surrounded by non-Natives and educated in predominantly white schools. Sounds like my background a little bit there. <laughs> Growing up, the lesson I learned in school about indigenous people was that we were people who existed only in the historic past. That we and our cultures were extinct and had no connection to the present day. I never learned about any native people other than historic male leaders like Sitting Bull and Geronimo. And I was surrounded by images and popular culture of harmful stereotypes. But this narrative of Native people couldn't be more wrong. We are not extinct, and there are so many important Native people of the past and today whose stories and lives have resonance, power, and are worth learning about. Now, as a scholar who studies, writes, and teaches about the importance of representation, I know the power of sharing stories that push beyond stereotypes and move Indigenous people from the historic past into the modern present and the future. Not only are most of the images and stories we hear about Native people stereotypical, Indigenous people are also largely invisible in American culture. The invisibility is reflected in Hollywood, the media, education, statistics, everywhere, and it didn't just happen. It's a direct result of the ongoing genocidal policies and practices of colonization. But the Indigenous world I know is dramatically different. When I open my social media feeds every day, I see a world full to the brim of indigenous joy, vibrant cultural revitalization, native babies speaking their languages, native fashion shows, indigenous futurism, awe-inspiring bead workers, hilarious indigenous memes, resilience, and brilliant community-focused work. 
in my life, work, and writing. I want to showcase a bit of that because it gives me so much hope. Being in this community has also introduced me to amazing indigenous people I would have never encountered otherwise. Indigenous Goddess Gang, an online community and magazine started by Kim Smith, who is Dine, has a Matriarch Monday feature where they post different native women from history each week. It is how I first learned about several of the women in this book. Every Monday, I'm excited to see a native person represented in a position or point in history that I had never known about. American history has purposely written natives out of the national narrative because our continued existence serves as a reminder that this country exists on stolen land and was built by attempting to destroy millions of indigenous people. Therefore, the work of uncovering the stories to most of the public is important, decolonial work. And there's still so much for all of us to learn. Because there was no way that just the 50 people in this book could equitably represent a full spectrum, I strive to create a balanced group. The people in this book represent a small slice of the Native experience, balanced across three broad cultural groups of American Indian, Alaskan Native, and Kanaka Maoli, as well as various gender identities, ages, locations, tribal affiliations, and work. I also intentionally focus on the inclusion of Black Natives, female, and two-spirit people. In the spirit of Indigenous relationships, I created the list of people in this book collaboratively and vetted the final group with community members and friends to ensure it maintained this spirit of inclusion. All of that said, this is in no way even close to representative of the incredible stories and perspectives of all Indigenous people. I hope that this inspires you to seek out more stories, listen to Native voices, and learn from the first people of this land. <clears throat> a note on tribal names. Tribal names can be a bit tricky. There are official federally recognized names and then more colloquial versions of those names. Widely used names given by settlers as well as Native language names and other names that may be preferred by tribal members. Many of the names you may be familiar with, such as Sioux for the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota, or Winnebago for the Ho-Chunk, were names given by settlers and do not come from native languages. So many of these names are not preferred or are falling out of favor. Some settler-given names, however, like the Osage, are considered acceptable and widely used. When noting the tribe to which they belong, native people may also choose to include or not include their specific band or clan affiliations. In this book, for the sake of simplicity, I have used tribal names most commonly used and accepted by members of those tribes, as well as the tribal names preferred by the people in this book. So let's get into it. Um, the indigenous person I want to focus on and start with today is one of my absolute favorite artists and people. I didn't find out until a couple of years ago that she was indigenous. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. Her name is Edmonia Lewis. Edmonia Lewis comes out of the, let me make sure I say this right, Mississauga Anishinaabe people. Think about Mississippi. But Mississauga Anishinaabe people. 
She lived from 1844 to 1907, and she was a sculptor. Edmonia Lewis, or Wildfire, was the first woman of African-American and Native heritage to gain international recognition in the fine arts world as a sculptor. Born in 1844 to an Ashinaabe mother and a free Black father, she spent the first 12 years of her life with her mother's people in upstate New York, selling Anishinaabe arts to tourists. When her brother moved to California to mine for gold, he sent money home to help fund her education. Through his help, as well as funding from abolitionist societies, she enrolled at Oberlin College, one of the few colleges at the time who accepted women and persons of color, where she began to hone her sculpting skills. While there, she was subjected to intense discrimination and racist attacks that ultimately led to her leaving the college and moving to Boston. Now, I don't know if Oberlin College ever issued an official apology, but in 2022, I think that would be a good thing for them to do. In Boston, she got involved with abolitionist societies working to end slavery, and these societies and patrons helped to advance her work as an artist. By selling her sculptures, she was able to fund her first trip to Europe in 1865. She visited London, Paris, and Florence before renting a studio in Rome in 1866. Now, what they don't mention here is that also when she got to Europe, she was supposed to be staying at a kind of like an all-girls um, home there. And when she got there and they saw that she was black, they would not allow her to stay there. So she ended up actually staying in Europe for the majority of her adult life. In Italy, Edmonia did all of her marble sculpting herself, which was not the norm for the time. She not only lacked the funds to hire local Italian artists, but she also wanted to retain creative control and didn't want anyone to be able to question her talent or take credit for her work. Her pieces were sculpted in a classical style, often depicted, um, often depicting black and native subjects. So she was using sort of a Romanesque Greek style of um, sculpting. And if you know anything about Rome, Roman and Greek sculptures, a lot of the times the body forms were what they call idealized. Um, but what she was doing was she was taking this Roman Greek form of sculpting and applying it to black and native people. So you have these beautiful works that I'm gonna pull up in a moment and show you um, that she was creating that had black and native people being uh, carved out of marble, which was at the time kind of like the highest form of sculpting that was occurring at the time. And so a lot of people were probably like, mm, what is she doing using this really high form of sculpting or high form of art and representing a people that at the time was not really respected. So she was doing something definitely out of the box. Edmonia's most famous works of native people, Hiawatha and Minnehaha, were inspired by the poem, The Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Other subject matter she worked in included biblical scenes, commentary on the oppression of black people, and occasionally portrait busts. Edmonia passed away in London in 1907 at the age of 63. Many of her works did not survive, but those that did are held in the collections of the Smithsonian American Art Museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and other major museums. Despite living most of her adult life in cities away from her homeland, 
She never lost her love of the land, saying, There is nothing so beautiful as the free forest. To catch a fish when you are hungry, cut the boughs of a tree, make a fire to roast it, and eat it in the open air is the greatest of all luxuries. I would not stay a week pent up in cities if it were not for my passion for art. So that is Edmonia Lewis. Let me take a moment here to share some of her artwork. Pull this down. And as I'm getting that ready, you can, if you'd like to come on today and share or speak. Please let me know. See if we can. Um, she was born on the fourth of July. All right. Let's see. Okay, great. So this is one of her sculptures. There. See how beautifully that is done. Sculpture is, especially with marble you are really having to um, pull the form out of the material. All right, let's see. This is Edmonia herself. More of her work. This is, I believe, one of her more famous pieces. This one is in the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Another lovely image of Edmonia. <laughs> Another image of Edmonia. But beautifully talented, incredibly talented woman who had to really deal with some stuff in her day but she kept going right she didn't let what was happening in America deter her and she actually wound up you know moving out of the country and living out of the United States for the rest of her life this is a sculpture of hers Let's see there we go it's a sculpture and this one is located in it doesn't say where this one is located. I'd be interested in finding out. But yeah. So that's a little bit of her work. One of the other ones. Let me see. There's two more I wanted to show you all. That are pretty famous. This is probably the most famous one. Most people have probably seen this in some art book or history book. This is a pretty famous one. I've actually seen some miniature copies of this one. And if you look very closely, this one is about, um, let me bring that back again. This one is about enslaved people. If you look close, you can see the chain broken on his hand and, and foot. All right. So that is it, Monia Lewis. She is one of the artists that is a 
constant inspiration for me. And she's indigenous. All right, Prophet Jonathan says, this is so cool getting all these art and creative master classes. So interesting to get a quick deep dive into art history and the effects on history and the world. I am available for those of you who love art history or want to learn more about art. I am available to lecture. I actually um, have uh, three classes where I'll be doing some form of lecturing of art on today. Um, one to one with educators. So if you are ever interested in just learning more about art, especially African-American art, um, movements, I do it all. Um, not just African art, um, not just African-American art, but also West African art, art beyond the Western world. Um, my specialty areas are the Renaissance. I really like talking about the Renaissance and introducing people to Renaissance art and explaining. So, yeah, something I like to do and I enjoy it, but I'll do it for a fee. <laughs> so my lectures right now are not free unless they're sponsored by a college or a university. And uh, thankfully, I have had some opportunities lately to do some lectures for some college students, which has been great. Um, but if you're ever interested in putting a small group together and hearing or learning or even practicing, because I also teach art skills. So if you're interested in getting some practice in, you can message me and we'll set it up. Uh, I will make a caveat that November is really, really busy. So if I do, if you do want to contact me, think about some dates in December before Christmas. All right, we're going to take our response today. It's coming from Pastor Ben. And if you've been hanging with us on our podcast, I want to say thank you again for your time and attention. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness, so continue to go out and be light. Take care and God bless.